Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Something Something Podcast. My name is Eric Kasloff, and with me, as always, is Larry Sands. Party on, Larry. Party on, Eric. Party on. It's been like months since I've started us off like that. You know, it's actually been more than months, Eric. You've been on a, a Wayne's World hiatus ever since you watched Wayne's World with your 2019 at that point eyes. And it was just, it was all over. You're like, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> what did I watch? <laughs> but we're back, baby. The duo. Yeah. We well, got a little bit of Wayne's World, a little bit of Wild Stallions. You'll yeah. see everybody. Stick with us. So, Larry. Again, it's weird asking people how are things going in this day and age right now, but how insane have you gone so far? Oh man, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a there's a, a song in there somewhere. You know, actually, um, been pretty good. Been been able to work with a doctor, uh, doing some social media stuff, and um, so I've been able to. To get out and and a lot of a lot too man doing our podcast really helped. you know yeah which one because we're doing like 10 i know i know <laughs> we we need we need to somehow make an extra day to the week we have to will that into existence somehow we have to there's a monday how about between a sunday and a monday we get a sun monday something like that man. Sun something's got to work but yeah yeah, no, actually, and as as crazy as our our, because we have a, a a literal a little network going right now. Yeah, yeah, we I'm, do, and more shows being added. I'm stoked, and and people are starting to contact us, Eric. Yeah, through through not only our our Instagram, which by the way, everybody, if you want to be on the show, please call us, all you creatives out there. <laughs> something something well, podcast.com. E email us or contact okay. us. Yeah. Yeah, well, call you know, Eric. You know Give what? him a text. I'm going to set up a Google voice number for people to call and see if they want to come on the show. Hey, that would be cool. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, no, you know, actually, we just started our Christian podcast. Yeah. Um, for people that are familiar with our show, our something something show, you know, we, we kind of don't shy away from you know who we are and, and but our... we don't like talking about it yeah. that much on this show because we don't want to alienate people oh, but... no no but one of the things that i like is and i think this kind of uh kind of sets us up for our interview yeah you know um so and i think uh, I think what I'm getting at, Eric, is let's just bring our, our, our guest on. You want to? No, you can do it, Larry. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I, I want you to. By all means, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so so what Eric is talking, you know what? Let's just do it. I'm going to do it, Eric, and I'm going to introduce our next guest. Annunciate. Annunciate. <laughs> Annunciate. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, coming to the something something podcast tonight is is author he's got a brand new book out um he's actually you know looking at his website um he talks a lot a little bit about um faith uh so uh, i'm kind of ex excited to talk to him uh nelson dossier welcome to the show 
Welcome, gentlemen. Good job, Larry. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show tonight, Nelson. Yeah. Oh, no. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, you do have a, a new book out. It's uh, The March to Madness. Yep. Let's talk just briefly um, about what the book is about. Actually, I love the cover. I'm looking at your website right now, and everybody listening to uh, the podcast right now um, can either go to our, our Instagram and check out his book cover uh, or go to Nelson. Uh, it's it, The link's in the description. <laughs> it's www.nelsondossier.com. So it's www.nelsondossier.com. And, and to be fair, um, the whole thing is this goes back to a, a while ago. We had a really big guest on, and, and he had made, what, a fan film, right? A yeah, really the great... Friday the 13th, one of the biggest Friday the 13th fan films ever. Now... I knew what his name was. Larry kept saying it wrong. And I didn't want to embarrass Larry. So I just let the rope get bigger and bigger. So his name is Vincent, but it looks like Vicente. Ah. So, and, and that's the whole thing. That's why I, I have to ask every time before we start the show. Even Listen, the easiest of names, I have to. You can just call to me ND if you want. I'm fine. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. So Nelson, talk to us, give us a little bit, uh, about, um, what your new book is the March to madness. Well, it starts off with, um, my trip into incarceration. That's how the, the, the book begins. And then what I try to do is take the reader back to, pretty much a year earlier uh the NCAA basketball tournament starting hence a little play off the march madness march to madness theme that i have in the book yes um because gambling was a big part of my story as well um and it's a trip out west with you know my friends uh my girlfriend even though i was married at the time which i don't condone but things happen in addiction um and it talks about all the fun and frolic you can have, but it gives you a behind-the-scenes look of what was really going on in the mind of myself, uh, the addict tendencies, and at a certain point, the depression and the loss of, of hope that's, that sinks in because you don't feel that you're ever going to you know, recover for lack of a better word. And, you know, at a certain point, I didn't even know what recovery was. You know, I'd heard of some of the 12-step programs and different things, but I didn't know that that was a possible option for me to end, you know, my suffering. So, wow. unfortunately, I looked to a different route. Um, thankfully, and I believe this is one of the first God you know, higher power moments I had after my overdose, you know, I woke up in the hospital three days later. Wow. And um, most of the people that knew what I did and what I took were very surprised that I ever woke up. Wow. So my, as my sponsor says, and there's a, a good deal of, 
don't call it sponsorship, but there's a good deal of camaraderie in the book between me and a few people. And, you know, he said to me, you know, listen, God doesn't save you from drowning in the ocean just to beat you up when he gets you to the shore. I like Ooh. that. Wow. And I was like, what the hell did he just say? And then I tried <laughs> to figure it out, you know. You know, we all have in recovery, there's a language that you speak that maybe some people don't get. Um, but I started getting it. And he would also, you know, drop, you know, you guys Seinfeld fans? Oh, my yeah. my second so, favorite you know, show um, of all time. Yeah. So he's like, you know, Kenny Banyan, you know, that's gold, Jerry. You know, he would drop these <laughs> gold nuggets of recovery, you know. And, um, you know, God saved you for a reason. You know, all these different things that he said. And that's one of the reasons I chose him to be a sponsor, because I knew that he had that piece of the recovery puzzle. And myself being an atheist and a philosophy major and a non-believer for most of my life, um, you know, at a certain point, the, the text will ask you, is it easier to believe or not to believe? Huh. And, you know, I had a pretty good life, you know, but uh, crashed and burned at the end. So why not look for something else? Wow. You know, wow. people are so closed off, you know, nobody thinks outside the box. And, you know, I... I, my profession is in recovery now, you know, helping um, addicts, alcoholics in, a, in, a, in both the recovery and mental health setting, which, you know, it's usually combined to some extent. And, you know, I tell that to people every day. You got to try something new. You know, you got to think outside the box. And for me, I changed pretty much everything in my life a couple of years ago. You know, I already had, you know, four years of sobriety, but I changed locations. I changed jobs. I changed careers. I changed wives. Um, I changed just about everything. And people were saying I was crazy. But the one thing that I was truly comfortable with at that point in my life was change. Wow. You know, and wow. I think that's a big part of it. I think people have to realize that it is a life change. You know, there's a difference between abstinence and sobriety. You know, the expression I use and, you know, I'll keep it clean on the podcast. But if you are a jerk and we're drinking and using and you just stop drinking and using and using, guess what you got? Probably a bigger jerk because you're not <laughs> using and drinking. Yeah. So the sobriety piece is a big piece, not just the abstinence. You know, you really have to change your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like. um I like, oh, so the book, is it, well, is it like semi, like biographical or all the way through? And it's just the, you know, like, because it's all about really you, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't call it a memoir um, because there is some um, puffery, let's call it, and I changed all the Hi, hi, Auntie Jody here with a helpful hint on exactly how to deal with all the homeschooling issues that have recently cropped up. When dealing with children, be they yours or anyone else's, you must include the slow head turn, stare, look of disdain in your repertoire of reactions. If this does not immediately work, I suggest immediately lacing the parents and child's food, milk, or juice with an 80-proof spirit. It works! Have a question for Auntie? Just follow her on Instagram. That's the Jody Adler and ask away. And remember, you certainly can question authority. Just don't doubt Auntie J. Ta-ta for now.
names, as we used to say on those shows, to protect the innocent. <laughs> right. You know, you guys are filmmakers. You guys know that, you know, every story could be a little tweaked and twinged to make it a little bit more, yeah. Yeah. you know, viewer yeah. friendly or whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to tell you that 95% of it is accurate. Wow. And, and so, I... I get- I can almost imagine that the uh, truth is stranger than fiction anyhow when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, most of the time. You know, maybe not for for people in addiction because, you know, when people are sharing at a meeting and telling a horrendous story of what they did in their addiction, most people at the meeting laugh. Not because they're laughing at them, but because they get it. Right. And they probably did something like that themselves. So, yeah, when I, when I sit in meetings and people tell me their story and share stories, it's like, there's no way that happened. But you just know it did because you were probably there and you probably saw a lot of those things. For example, you know, in college, you know, I already had a good drinking career. I'm a teen of the 80s. So and I grew up in the Northeast in an affluent community and I used to upper middle class. But the drinking age was 18. There were no picture licenses, which people today that are under 40 don't really understand. Like, what do you mean there was no picture license? <laughs> I'm like, it was a flimsy piece of paper that said brown hair, brown eyes, 5'7". That's mm-hmm. what it was. That's what a license was. So my brother was four years older than me. I took his birth certificate down to the motor vehicles, and I got myself a license. It wasn't that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is way pre-9-11. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. So, it was pretty easy. And then once you had the license, you know, if, if you were a decent size, nobody was going to, you know, say anything. So, you know, we were off to the races and then we go to college and, you know, here's your red cup. Give us a dollar. You can drink all you want. All right, <laughs> Let's go with me, you know. But there was there were stories that I'm reminded of and that we talk about where I actually started working in a bar. I thought that was a good idea, you know, for an alcoholic you know, has to work in a bar. I did I did not cross the line when the owner of the bar also said he could rent me a room above the bar because that would have been too much. You know, I couldn't live above the bar. You know, I could just work there and be an alcoholic, but you know. So we would do, you know, oh, let's what are we gonna do today, guys? Let's see if we can do sh- sixty shots in an hour, you know, one a minute. Maybe yeah. we can do something oh, like that. Goodness. You know, and after thirty-five they take our keys away and they basically, you know stop us from doing things but but there was no fear i think because you're young you don't know any better um you know then i went on to my legal career and i went to law school and you got to study hard and you got to play hard and then even when i got married after law school i was still i don't know working at a firm everybody was young we'd go out we'd socialize you know my wife could take care of herself you know she wasn't like you know a problem but then when i had my son i kind of had i got a moral compass for a couple of years you know mm-hmm. and i said ah oh, you know stop smoking cigarettes you can't smoke around a baby you know you know i'm not going outside in the cold to smoke a cigarette i'll smoke a joint but i'm not gonna smoke a cigarette that's crazy you know and um i guess at a certain point larry people just stop or they just grow up i don't, I don't know what you want to call it yeah. But I enjoyed it. The gambling was never going to stop. That was always going to be a part of the scene. Um, you know, my son grew up. I got back to my vices. And you know, the late, mid to late 2000s, the marriage was failing. The market crashed. It was a perfect storm. 
Um, I met somebody who showed an interest in me and ended up taking her as a hostage, as we call it, for like four years. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a day. My wife didn't want to go to Vegas. She didn't want to socialize. She didn't really want to go to the bar. So I found somebody that did. And um, it was a good, loving relationship. It was, you know. Um, but the marriage didn't work. That relationship didn't work. Um, jail was on the horizon. A lot of stuff happened. I don't want to give too much of the plot of the book because I certainly yeah yeah you know don't don't but, give um, too many spoilers. This wet our yeah, appetites. Yeah, no, I think that there's and again, the book was written when I was incarcerated, and wow, there was, there was no thought to writing a book. There was a point maybe a weekend where somebody gave me a piece of paper and a pencil, and I just started writing notes. And ideas were popping into my head and I started writing things down. And then eventually, probably from the commissary, I was able to get some pads and some pens. And I would wake up often in the middle of the night with an idea and I would just write it down. And then I'd get up in the morning and be like, oh, that's a good story. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll expand upon that. And it just kept happening. And um, I started writing and I had some chapters and I'll never forget this. This is a this is not in the book. It is a funny anecdote. Uh, there were I was one of the minority people in the jail. It was mostly younger um, people of foreign descent or African American or whatever you want to call them, minority people. But one of them I was good friends with, and he asked me. I heard he said I heard you're writing a book. Could I see one of the chapters? And I said sure. You know I'll be happy to. You know, let me let me rewrite it for you because I had no typewriter. So I gave it to him, and a couple of days go by, and he doesn't say anything. And on the third day, I say, oh, you know, he's like, oh, I'm almost done, you know. And he comes to me a couple of days later, and he hands it back to me. And I said, so what would you think? And he said, you know what? It's like a book. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm writing a book. That, he's like, no, point. no, 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 no. It's like a book. I don't care that you're writing a book. It's like a book. And that was probably the best compliment this guy could have given me. You know what I mean? He didn't know yeah. the words or how to say it or what, to, or what to show me more than that. And I was like, yeah, it's like not a pop-up book. It's like words and lines and sentences. But after that, what I had to start doing actually was writing the chapter, rewriting it, editing it, and then writing it a final time as pristine as I could so that people could read it. So almost like in print form. And then I had to mail the chapters out of the jail to a girl in my AA group who was putting them in a notebook, in like a loose leaf book, because oh, they wow. would come in and trash your cell and rip things up and you know, destroy things. And I wasn't going to have all this work that I put in. Right. You know, and later on, I had a dictionary and a thesaurus. And it was like, you know, it was easier as my time. You know, I was there for a full year for 365 days. So after about six months, I had better tools at my disposal um and the writing got better <laughs> but um you know we had to go back and obviously edit and do some some cuts to it um but yeah the feedback's been good um i think that everybody can relate to it it's it's not a book only about recovery and what i try to get across to most people i talk to is that look everybody's got issues i don't care if you're addicted or not addicted most people should be in some kind of program, okay? If you just walk into the supermarket during corona when they're trying to open up, everybody needs a little program. So, you know, 
it's just a, a story of success and hope and how you can change your perspective. You know, I'm not, my brother said to me, and he's got about 30 years of sobriety. When I started getting sober, he laughed in my face. And he's like, you just enjoy it too much. So that pool at the bar that says, when are you going to relapse? Let me put a couple of dollars on like a week, you know, because he was sure that I was not going to make, and especially to gambling. But I ended up, uh, after my incarceration, living for him, which was supposed to be two months, ended up being over two years. And it was a real good experience. Um, I think I turned out to be, he called me his moral advisor uh, because, you know, uh, I probably went to more meetings and was more fresh in my sobriety, you know. And keep in mind, not too many people know this part, but I had a year of sobriety prior to being incarcerated. So oh, that helped wow. me greatly when I went into jail because they did a whole-scale investigation for seven or eight months, and by the time the process played out, luckily for me, I was able to go in front of the judge with a year clean and sober, and that was the first God moment because even my lawyer said, listen, you're probably going upstate for like five to ten years. Wow. I mean, I love you, but, you know, you can't do what you did, and, you know, they're not just going to pat you on the head. Yeah. Um, but getting a year... 365 days, not a county bullet, which they call eight months, but I did every day, um, was still a gift, you know, from above. There was, there's no way. Yeah. I think God said, listen, you need a timeout, take a year, figure out what you're going to do with your life, and we'll go from there. Wow. Wow. You know, of all the writers and people we've had on, we've never heard the writing experience the way you've said it. I mean, but from prison i'm that's amazing to me how would you say that writing while you were in there is what kept you you know sane and having something to look forward to i would i mean i i think it was definitely more therapeutic than anything else i mean i was in a portion of the jail where there were meetings and it was more recovery oriented there was a certain part of the jail, maybe about 10% of the people who were in this aspect of the jail for drugs and alcohol rehabilitation. Um, so there was some stuff going on. But, man, I would have people come up to me after the weekend and say, we thought you broke out. Where you been? Said, <laughs> I'm in my cell. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not going to go out and play cards because I have a gambling addiction. So my money on commissary would probably be gone after a day. <laughs> Um, I don't really want to hang out with you guys all the time. I like it, but you know, I, I don't really want to watch what you're watching. So I sit in my room, I write my book. I also read probably a hundred books in you know, the 52 weeks I was there, but wow. the writing was tremendously therapeutic and a positive experience for me. Um, I always wrote, I always had an aptitude for writing in college and law school. So I always thought I had that aptitude. At one point, I thought maybe I'd be a sports writer or work for a newspaper or something like that. But I never really, I always took pride in it, um, you know, in my legal career and everything else. But I never, I never thought it would end up being a novel or a book or an experience like I had. Man, wow. just, just listening to you, I mean, that <laughs> it's kind of like what what Eric was saying. You know, we have we have different creative people, and they go, "Man, I get really in a rut, and I can't." And I'm sitting here thinking and trying to do all my stuff, and here you are. I mean, you're you you've overcome, like really. I've never been to prison, thank the Lord, right? 
Um, and uh, I can only imagine um, what it's like and then trying to and be in your creative world because it takes a special person to stay in a creative realm and to be able to write, much less trying to deal with what you were going through. Um, well, let I me mean, say it this way. I always told people that I didn't really worry about the outside world when I was in jail. Like I didn't worry about my light bill or my mortgage. I mean, I, my wife had those worries to deal with, but I didn't really worry about that. You really only have to worry about one thing, not getting killed. Now, let me yeah. correct you on one thing, though, because I know people are going to call in and say, I was in jail, not prison. They're going to tell you that prison is very different than jail. Most people will tell you that spending a year in the county is crazy and they would never want to do that. But there is a difference between the prison system and the county jail. So before any convicts call up and complain, <laughs> uh, it wasn't well, jail. But You're still locked behind bars and don't have the freedom to do what you want. Yes. So Correct. it's not really... You know, you can argue the finer points. Yeah, I just listen. I just like to make but, that dichotomy because it was brought up to me during my time that there is a difference. So. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know. No, I mean, it's and, and it's good to point that stuff out because honestly, it's like Eric was saying, you're as far as I'm concerned. Oh, there's, yeah. And, there's no difference, but there definitely is. So, and yeah. And for humility purposes, and I know people say, oh, yeah, you said it just when you get out of jail. When I got out of jail, I was preaching and telling people, I think everybody should have to spend the weekend in jail. <laughs> if everybody spent, I mean, it's almost like what we're doing now. I don't want to compare, compare, but let me tell you something. The, the, our freedom is limited now. Yeah. I think that it's definitely a humbling experience to be told when you can go to the bathroom, when you can eat, when you can do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. All I wanted to do was go in my car and get a Coke and a slice of pizza. And guess what? That wasn't happening for a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so yes, you are certainly confined. But I just wanted to make that, you know. Let, let's go back. Um, and I'm glad we kind of started with the book because, I mean, the book is almost, and I hate to say it's the ending, but it's, it's the beginning. It's a new beginning of the end, I think, where, where your life is, what it sounds like. Um, do you remember the exact moment when, when you wanted to, to change your life around and, and, and not. Not not like have a God moment or anything, but just you just knew that it was I was, you know, you were done and you wanted something totally different. But did you know at the time what you wanted? Good question. Um, I have the answer, I believe. I believe that the time where I knew that I had a problem and I needed to change my life was when I was sent to the psych ward and locked down. And I realized right away that most of the people there were not there for the same reasons I was. And I'm a smart, educated guy. So if I just follow directions and do what I'm told and take my medication and lose the sarcasm and gain some humility. Uh, and, and keep in mind, I went from the medical hospital where I woke up via ambulance to the 
psych ward because wow. that was what the hospital administrator said. I could either go the hard way or the easy way. So I decided to go the easy way and spare some people some more pain. But, you know, most of the jig was up when that happened. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the wife found out about the girlfriend. The girlfriend found out about the wife. My partner in the law firm found out that millions of dollars were missing. I mean, the proverbial, you know what, hit the fan. Yeah. And yeah. I said to myself, um, well, I don't know about the legal issues. We'll get a lawyer. I don't know about, you know, my career. We'll have to figure that out. That's probably over. But I need to do something with my life. My life is not over. Uh, somebody up there wants me to, to live. I got to figure out why and what my purpose is going to be now. But the first thing I know is I got to get out of here. And the suggestion was after two weeks there to find the 12 step program, engage in an outpatient program and start on my retribution recovery, you know, road trip, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Mm. Now, let me ask you this. And it probably is. Do you is this do you put this in the book? Yes. Oh, OK, yes. I'm done. No, Where can okay, we get the book? Okay because. There are hints throughout. First of all, it goes back and forth. There are four chapters about jail. Um, and then most of the beginning is about what takes place in Vegas over the course of this week where I'm there with my friends and, and, and how things played out. But the key is there are hints dropped along in the book about what my ultimate goal was for the trip which was what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And if something happens to me, something happens to me type oh. of scenario. Mm. So that was all laid out in my head. And also, you know, it's laid out in the book so that there's some foreshadowing. You kind of know what's coming, but you don't know how or why or when or what the situation is going to be. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm giving away too much. I think that, you know, the pace is good. It goes back and forth from, from jail to that trip. And I love that kind of storytelling. And what you're doing now is giving people those sample of Cinnabons at the mall so that they want to go in and buy the whole thing. Right. Well, that's right. true. You know, I like the bourbon chicken a little better than the Cinnabon, but, you know. Oh, yeah, you're right. I got to go with that. Yeah, man, that's I miss always, going to malls. good. But yeah, no, that's, you know, listen, uh, I think it's a, a very intriguing story. Um, the three people in the world that I said should probably not read it are my mom, my ex-wife, and my son. <laughs> I got a call from my son earlier this week saying he thinks he read a little too much. Uh, I got a call from my mom who reads about three books a week and says, your writing's phenomenal. I knew you always could write. I knew you were a wonderful writer. But I think I'm not reading anymore. Ooh. And my ex-wife had made the best decision, and I don't believe she's picked it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because when we make our amends, right, we don't have to be that specific. So when I made my amends to my ex-wife, I said I was unscrupulous and unfaithful, and I did some bad things. And I apologize for that. She don't need the details from the book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, because that's only going to injure her. And, and, and I, you know, I can't stop her from doing it, but I suggested to her that, you know, 
there are probably some things in there that will hurt you that you may not need to read. That's the thing, because when we go through a thing of, you know, self-healing, for lack of a better word, mm. things that are going to come out that will make us, you know, we get it off our chest. But if certain people hear it, you know, it's going to destroy them. But you got to do it to help yourself get over and out of these the darkness that you were in. It's a fine line, you know, and I was always told. We're not we're supposed to think about it and not hurt other people when we're making the amends. So, again, my wife obviously knew about my unfaithfulness. She didn't need to know more than she knew. Exactly. So I apologized for what she knew and the rest of it. I didn't have to say, listen, you know, every time I went on a golf outing, every time I told you I was working late, every time on Valentine's Day when I made up some other bullshit excuse, I was with somebody. You know, she doesn't need to know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, hopefully she's not listening now. No, I'm okay. <laughs> um, I don't think um, she piece it together. But regardless of that, I mean, you know, it, it was a very wonderful experience for me. I mean, when I got out of jail, I was focused on a couple of other things. And then eventually, I think it was my brother or somebody else said, well, what are you going to do about that? Didn't you write a book? Didn't you? And I was like, well, yeah, I'd have to edit it and type it. And I don't know, you know, it was just more therapeutic than anything. And then a couple of people read it and they're like, no, this is good. I remember one of my best friends, I gave him a handwritten chapter and his response to me was, well, I want to read more. Jerk, where's the rest of it? And then the better part of the comment was I read it. I found it fascinating, but then I had to realize it really happened to you. Wow. So I thought that was pretty cool comment, you know, because he was so enthralled with the story and he was so following it and he wanted more and more and he was excited. And then he's like, damn, this actually happened to this guy. Right. Oh. That's, that, that's not so, all made up stuff, right? He's like, whoa. Yeah. 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 And people have come to me and said, I got a lot of good stories. I got a lot of interesting things that happened in my life, but I can never convey it the way you put it down on paper. That's so, that's yeah, I mean, I think that goes to what you were saying originally, Larry. The creativity was there. Um, you just got to put it to use. Yeah, yeah. And, and it sounds, I mean, all joking and all, all that aside, it, sure. it sounds like you made a very good use of, of a, I mean, a most the difficult worst, situation. The worst yeah. of situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Can listen, talk- I, I attribute uh-huh. that, like I said before, to the year of sobriety and the hope that I had gotten already. You know, one of the guys in my group, uh, I'll try to make this quick, said to me, listen, you know what you're facing. You can plan for what's going to happen or you can project negatively into the situation. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Ooh, you might have cancer. Oh, yeah, you might, but you might not. So right? let's not project a death sentence. You know, and he was telling me, let's not do everything your lawyer tells you, do everything we tell you, and let's see how it's going to play out. And the result was as good as I could have probably imagined. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think that's one of the things today, especially nowadays, is, you know, you can't you can't look at the negative because there's a lot of positive that's that's coming out of what we're going through right now. And and I can I just listening to your story, there is a lot, a ton of positive that has come out, um, uh, that you've come out of to, to this side. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now? Um, because it, it sounds like it's, it's certainly changed your life, not only saved your life, but changed your life, um, about helping other people r uh, recover. Yeah. So I was disbarred from practicing law because if you have one felony, usually they disbar you and I pled guilty to six. So that was a moot point at that, at that stage. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And the counselor, actually, that ran our cell block in the jail and that whole program I was telling you about came to me one day and said, um, I don't really get it, but these young um, African-American, Hispanic, and other minority people are telling me that they're relating to you, a 50-year-old white <laughs> Jewish dude, you know, whatever. Like, like, maybe, have you ever considered being a counselor when you get out? He said, instead of a legal counselor, maybe you can be a substance abuse counselor. Or maybe, you know, because these people, some for some reason, are listening. So right. before I even got out of jail, he got me the applications to apply to the school and do everything. And everything was sent in. So I was thinking about it at that time. Um, but I had to go through the, 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 you know, the schooling and the education part first. Um, and I started taking the classes. And I, you know, a lot of it was on spirituality. I mean, there was... Let's, there was some pharmaceutical courses where you had to know every benzo in the world also and what makes with what. And so it was an inclusive program, but I was offered an opportunity. I was working in a deli making like $10 an hour mopping up floors because I needed a job. Yeah. Um, and I believe it was right around Christmas time. And a woman who ran the school came in and said, we're looking for people. Does anybody want to work at the facility next door? Either, a either you know, um, what's the word where you work and they don't pay you, but you get the experience? An intern? internship? Yeah, either an internship or you can get paid. And I'm like, well, I need to get paid. Yeah. So they put me on like the 11 at night to 7 in the morning shift at this facility. It was an adolescent facility. And I got my foot in the door. It was more of a glorified babysitting position at that point. But I got my foot in the door. And within a few months, they realized this is not our normal guy. Like. You know, he's a, he was a lawyer, like he's intelligent. He's been through recovery. He's been through jail. He knows the ropes. He's smart. And, you know, they moved me up pretty quickly into like almost a therapeutic, you know, like a experimental 90 day therapeutic um, position. And, and I started working there uh, full time and I finished school and everything worked out great. And it was hard working with adolescents. Um, it's hard enough working with adults who are trying to get clean. So as an adolescent, you can imagine it's even harder. Yeah. But then the relocation project happened and I relocated. I'll say where I am. I relocated to Florida, which is a very big hotbed. Um, if you know anything about recovery, you know, Florida is probably one of the probably has the most recovery opportunities out there. And, huh. you know, I left my job where I was and I came down here and I got a job pretty quickly and I started really working with people in long-term recovery and, and it was like going to a meeting every day wow. you know the one thing you have to remember though and, I, and I'll say this to everybody if anybody's working in the community is it's not your meeting though every day right we're helping other people but we still need help so you must yeah. continue to go to your meetings continue to go to outpatient continue to do outpatient was a big part of my program I'll give you another one of my sponsors, Jules. Um, 
you know, if it's two o'clock in the morning and you want to have a drink, you can call me. If it's two o'clock in the morning and you want to kill yourself, you better call somebody else because I'm just <laughs> another drunk like you, you know? So that's why I always had an outpatient therapist as well because, yeah, he, he's not a trained guy. He can talk me off the ledge and maybe I won't have that drink or smoke that joint. But if I'm having severe depressive thoughts, that's not his job, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big advocate of an eclectic approach. Wherever you can get the help, get the help. Um, I work in a facility now um it's predominantly 20 to 30 year olds you know the epidemic now as i'm sure you know is the heroin and fentanyl we do get some alkies which i take pride in and i probably show them a little bit more uh concern because i can relate more maybe to the drinking aspect of it but um yeah i mean it's it's rewarding often but difficult more often yeah because you know um dealing with a confined environment with a certain amount of people that all want it what they want when they want it because they're addicts but you know it's like my my whole family were teachers and administrators and it's like teaching a math class and watching a kid who can't understand it all of a sudden get it and the light bulb goes on and he becomes a math whiz (laughs) you know just to see Three months later, six months later, nine months later, getting texts and messages from people who are sober is just, you know, phenomenal. Man, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And I, I, I think you touched on it a little bit, but as you're doing this, you're and and I, I think you did say this, but I just want to, um, when as you're helping other people, you're certainly helping yourself. In, in in an odd way, right? Um, yeah, sure. You're definitely getting something out of it. Yeah. Because if I'm preaching recovery, I'm talking recovery. Right. Me and my wife, for some reason the other night, from like 11 to 1, had a two-hour discussion about God and the Bible. And that's one of the reasons oh. why we were probably attracted to each other. Our spiritual journey was totally different than mine. Um, it was a near-life-death experience in an accident that she had where mine was addiction and brought on by myself um but yeah i mean anytime i can talk about spirituality and recovery it's great but i do get something out of it but i'm not telling them about my problem right right oh no yeah you know what i mean and i'm not sharing my difficulties and saying listen you goddamn crazy addicts you're driving me crazy today (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, I got to go to a meeting to do that. You know yeah, I'm oh. I had a bad day at the office today. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's always like, uh, you, you, you know, you have a filmmaker, and filmmakers like know how to talk to each other, and they know. But then you bring a non-filmmaker in, and they hear all these filmmakers, and they go, "Oh yeah, man!" And then they try to talk the talk <laughs> and the speech and everything, and you just look at them, and you're like, Ooh. and you'll start you- the makeup stuff just to see if they'll say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they I, or they they don't understand like oh we just gotta you know we'll just redress the set to make it look different yeah yeah we just gotta redress the set <laughs> you gotta they make have it till no you make it clue what it means. that's right that's right that's right that's but right that's um, like I was saying before recovery has its own language also I when I got out of jail I first started some internet dating because I didn't really know what to say to anybody if I met them like how you doing where you been well you know I'm in jail and. So I, I figured out I should say like I'm a retired lawyer who's a novelist and you know and 
clean it up a little bit. That's much better. That's cool, yeah. I met somebody online, and we had our first conversation, and within five minutes, she asked, are you in recovery? I said, why would you ask me that? She said, because I'm in for 23 years, and you're talking a lot of recovery shit right now. Wow. (laughs) So she knew right away, you know? So there is that maybe different language, different dialect that we talk. Yeah. You know, here's here's a crazy thing. I think we were talking about this on our Christian podcast, but um, where things happen for a reason, even when it looks like it's the end for what we think we want and what we want to do and what we want to be. And this is even hard trying to, to say because I can't. I mean, man, but 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 your path everybody's path and and in particular yours because you're able to talk about it and in hindsight right is 2020 um but it seems like that you have found your your path and what you're supposed to do um because i mean man when it falls into place it really falls into place you know no, I, I agree with that, and I, but I, I do think that you have to want it. I can't want it for you. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, there are some explicit moments where God, I believe, was trying to send me a sign, and I just wasn't ready to see it. You know, I still had my glasses on backwards, you know, as the, the story in acceptance we'll talk to you about. You know, and I say that all the time. If my wife walked into the den naked with a beer hat on and two pizzas, I'd say, why'd you get anchovies? <laughs> you know, there was nothing that she was going to do at a certain point that I was going to compliment or that was going to be right. It just didn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to change the lenses. I had to just, man, you're going to get away from the negativity. I mean, listen, you said it a little bit. Sometimes when things are seem like they're falling apart they're actually falling into place we may not Mm. know that at the time and if i got everything that i prayed for i'd still be locked up (laughs) because i was praying to bribe the judge and do it forge my passport i was a good forger that was one of the things i like to do and i could do all these great things but thank my higher power that he didn't lead me down some of those roads that i wanted to take and then once i think there are points in your recovery. There was a point in my recovery where I wanted to lie about something and I just couldn't do it. Mm. Like I felt like ill inside because I wanted to lie. Wow. And I didn't know what the truth was, man. If I went to McDonald's, I told you I went to Burger King just because I could make up a better story. <laughs> you know what I mean? I met the king. He gave me a crown. Oh, you know, whatever <laughs> I made up, I couldn't tell the truth. I just, you know, and again, we'll go back to the Seinfeld, right? There's an episode where George is dating two women and he's sitting in the diner and he's telling one. Oh, oh my God, know, I love that. You know, one. The ice skating was great last night. And she's like, what? He's like, oh, I mean, the movie was good. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't even remember who I was lying to. The wife, the girlfriend, the, the, mm. the, the people in my law. Fr- I, I didn't even know what I was doing anymore. And that's a tough burden. I mean, people started saying to me, are you OK? Like they thought I was having a nervous breakdown, mm. you know, because I was leading two different lives how to control all the worlds that were colliding. Another reference. Worlds and, colliding, Jerry. Worlds you know, colliding. <laughs> I'm stealing money. I'm cheating on my wife. I'm trying I'm trying to raise a son. I'm doing like now. There were too many things going on. And it was affecting my sanity. So what do you think that made me do? 
use more power yeah. Until you get to a point and you cross the line and you're just like, well, maybe it would be better off for everybody if I stop using and, you know, just take myself out of the picture and everybody will be happier. I'm the problem. Mm. You know? mm, that's man. a dark place. You know, that's a dark place to go to. When you lose hope and faith and everything else, it's a dark spot. You know, I always say, you know, you the, the you can go as I... I don't know the exact numbers, but you can go a certain amount of days without waiting, a certain amount of days without water, but you can't last three minutes without hope. Mm, that's a good one. Mm, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, you know. Well, I'm glad we're kind of talking about that. What is the best way if somebody out there is in a bad way that, that just so happens to listen to this. Um, I mean, and this is, this, this could be, what, what would you tell them to do? What would I tell them to do? Well, what I would suggest to them and the message I'd give them is simple. You know, you can and overcome whatever the obstacle is in your life. As long as you put in the effort, you know, you don't quit before the miracle, as we like to say, Fight the good fight, you know, work on your recovery every day. You know, if I can do it at my accelerated age when I did it, then I think anybody can do it. The key is you got to be honest with yourself. You got to be open and willing to listen to some other ideas. Think outside the box, which we talked about earlier, you know, um, and take suggestions from other people who have done it. You know, I know I know it's hard because we think we're right and we want to control everything. And I was a big control freak. The best thing that ever happened to me was step three. Because when I was able to turn my will and my life over to somebody else, wow, what a freeing experience that was. Mm-hmm. You mean, I don't have to control every situation. Like, I was thought I was controlling the weather. I was controlling, like, I was, the, I was it. I was controlling everything in my life. Now I don't have to do that. Oh, shit, I got a lot of free time. <laughs> and and not only do I not have to do it, I have somebody that's going to be doing it for my good. Because he created me in his image and only wants the best for me. That's right. So how is that a problem? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Let go of the selfishness. Gain some humility. Try to do the next right thing. That's not so bad. Life kind of works out. Man, yeah. I tell you, before we wrap up, I I have to tell you all all that we've talked about and everything. Um, I this is all in your book. This is all written down. This is all there for everybody to read and fill in the blanks. Where okay, is your book available? Oh, yeah, it's been out probably for a couple of months. It's on Amazon. It's on Kindle. You can go. The Probably the easiest thing to do is go to the website, and um, it will prompt you to where you can buy the book as well. Um, you know, it's in Barnes & Noble. It's on pretty much every outlet where people would buy books. It's there. Okay. Perfect. It's there. Uh, links awesome. will – what, Eric? Links will yeah, be I will in the say description. This. I will say this. 
when people, you know, make sure you put in the March to Madness, because if you just put in March to Madness or a March to Madness, you're probably going to come up with a college basketball encyclopedia. Yeah, so, I noticed that earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> so you need the March to Madness because I use that because, again, about the tournament. But also, you know, the addiction and alcoholism is a progressive disease. It is a March to Madness. If yeah. you, you know, you, you go through it. For the 35 years that I did, it's a long march. Yeah, yeah. And and just looking at the cover and reading uh, just your website, I mean, and like just the little tidbits. I oh yeah, no, it, it's it's a perfect it's a perfect name. It's a great play on words. I love yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. I appreciate it. Yes. Um. Ah, uh, Nelson. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you know what you're going to be doing once everything clears up? Are you still, and I guess this is a marketing 101, are you, are you actively looking to do publicity even more when, you get, when we get over this pandemic? Yeah, it was interesting. We, we were, you know, initially in, in that realm, we were talking about book signings and doing some different things. And obviously once the you know, social distancing and all the guidelines came out. Um, we went a different route and then we're doing more, um, you know, online stuff and, and uh, magazine interviews and things like that. We'll see how it plays out and when the proper time is. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, going on to you, to you guys forum and, and talking about it um, is, is a great alternative now. And, and it gives me a chance to, you know, um, give some other insights and stuff that may not be in the book. You know, the, again, the last four chapters are strictly on recovery. So, you know, people are wondering, well, where's the recovery part? It's there. Um, so there is something for everybody. And, um, you know, the other part of it is it'll go where God wants it to go. You know, That's I'm right. a firm believer in that. So Amen. it reaches the people it needs to reach. That's for I sure. Hope so, yeah, I hope. Yeah. So. And I hope it does help some people. That's cool. Oh, I, I know it will, man, because, you know, you went through it for a reason. And there are other people who are going to be touched and have their lives changed by this book. Yeah, I hope so. And, um, you know, as far as my career now, I mean, I, I'm going to stay, you know, as a therapist and a counselor. Um, you know, we've been open throughout the process because we're kind of like a hospital setting. So there are people there 24-7. And um, I'm certainly going to continue that. I've started a sequel as well, so I'm working on that. So I'm pretty busy um, nice. because the the few close friends that read it said, "Well, you kind of didn't finish the story." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'm still living the story. We'll get to it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, and I I, I do have to throw in, um, it's very inspiring talking to you and listening to where you were and where you are and it's just you know you are here for a reason and tonight i'm glad we, our paths all connected so thank you very much and i thank you guys and i appreciate the forum and uh, go read the rest of the book yes sir <laughs> <laughs> thanks again yes well everybody we just want to thank nelson once again for coming on the show tonight and everybody like i always say and it's so perfect for this time and place be excellent to each other